Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Fan Fuel Motorsports Podcast, the podcast where fans fuel talk about motorsport. This week, we saw the return of IndyCar and a trip out west again this year for the NASCAR Cup and Xfinity Series. Uh, but let's go ahead and get on into it. So uh, I just noticed that we're all wearing red. So uh, I guess we got the memo this week that we're supposed to do that. Mine is not a merch shirt, but it uh, looks like rocking 2311 for Nathan and Ryan Blaney for Colton. Um, so bef- without um, getting into the auto club stuff, let's go ahead and, and go down to St. Petersburg for the IndyCar opener. Um, IndyCar is back, and that probably uh, means that you, like myself, think that the American motorsport scene is finally back in full swing. So, Nathan, uh, what did you think about the IndyCar season opener? Oh, man, I thought it was a good race. Um, usually people get on street circuits for not being able to pass and all that kind of stuff, but it was a surprisingly good race. Um, it went down to the end. I didn't think it was, but some stuff happened with strategy. Polo kind of moved up through the pits, and that was that. I thought it was fun because – the car in the front wasn't always the fastest. I think McLaughlin was kind of managing his race and toward the end, he, he kind of knew that Polo wasn't going to be able to get past him in certain corners. So he wasn't pushing a hundred percent, but he was just pushing enough to stay ahead of him. So I think the race was a lot better than I expected. Yeah, it was a pretty good race. I think um, the first couple of laps were really intense. Uh, You bring up the fact that passing is not really a thing you think of on these street circuits, but um, I think Pato Award, he passed a couple of cars on the first lap, um, more than a couple, if you watched, you know. Um, but uh, I, I remember on, on lap one or two, they said that uh, pr- prior to the race that you couldn't go too, too wide through the parking lot section by the stadium, and then all of a sudden uh, he was making passes through the S's on the parking lot section. So a very good race um, overall, and something very important, I guess, to the whole world's motorsport scene. Um, if you guys have been watching for a while, you know that I'm a big Supercars fan. So seeing Scott McLaughlin come out there as a Kiwi uh, from a non-traditional starting spot for an American uh, open wheel scene um, and just go blister him all weekend. That was incredible to me. Yeah, I thought it was super cool because everybody knew that he was good in Supercars and people wanted him in NASCAR for a while. And their plan before COVID was to get him to the U.S. in some way, shape or form and I think they had him test at Sebring before COVID hit. He was really quick. They were going to have him do the Andy GP before COVID hit, and that didn't happen. So they brought him to St. Pete, I think it was, in 2020 at the end of the year. And ever since then, they gave him a full-time ride. He learned pretty well last year. I did not expect him to win the first race this year because it's only his – I think it's his third time coming back to St. Pete. So yeah, I think it's a good sign because that means if he's come back to these tracks second time, third time, then – it seems like he just picks up quick. Yeah, so that's something that we'll be looking forward to with not only him but his other two rookie class members from from last year, uh, with the uh, now Andretti Autosport driver of Roman Grosjean, and then uh, Jimmy Johnson, who is going to be driving all season this year. Um, let's hope he has some better luck on the ovals. He still didn't look too too fast down in St. Pete. Uh, but he did make some big uh, noise up front. Uh, and Nathan, if you want to explain some of that. Yeah. Um, well, toward the end, he and a couple other cars were about to get lapped. And obviously there's no blue flag rules in any car, so they could fight it. And he did fight for quite a while to try and stay ahead of McLaughlin because his teammate was catching McLaughlin. Polo kind of closed up two seconds in the time he spent behind Johnson. So ever since the top two lapped him. Then it was about power and power was in third. And I think what upset power is that he was still fighting despite the fact that the top two had already put him a lap down. And I think power says something along the lines of, you know, I hope the TV's getting a sponsor for him or something like that. So I don't know. It's interesting. I do think that they, they were kind of careful around him compared to the other lap cars. I noticed that they were really cautious around Calderon was one of them and Johnson was the other one. Like the leaders did not want to get near them. So I don't know. I thought it was really interesting because I know it's normal to fight when you're about to go lap down, but fighting after you've been lapped, it's kind of different. I didn't expect that. Well, I mean, it's a little bit of a 
ebb and flow type thing. We see people do that in NASCAR all the time, just just mm-hmm. getting away of the lead lap cars even when they're in a fight. So I mean, it's just something you have to deal with with the motorsport. Um, you would think that uh, as a seven-time Cup champion, having to deal with that himself, Jimmy Johnson would have not done that. But hey, he's he's learning the cars still. I mean. He's out there just to have fun. I'm not sure he's ever going to be someone that we see make a championship run. So, I mean, he's bringing money to the sport. So, yeah. Oh, Colt's muted. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if he's going to say anything. No, sorry. I was trying to listen for a noise out there. Yeah. I'm assuming that you did not watch Colton. The, uh, I I watched like the last seven or eight laps. I really didn't catch much of it. Um, I turned it on right as I heard him talking about Jimmy Johnson. I didn't see the incident. I heard him talking about it though. Um, then I just watched, uh, hello, trying to hunt him down. That was about all I, I watched. I honestly forgot that it was on until I saw something on Twitter about it. And then by then it was too late. Yeah. Well, if you got Peacock, you can watch it on a replay, uh, with ads though. So, even if you're paying for it, uh, we'll, we'll get into that at a later date. Um, but uh, so after we go out from here, uh, we'll go to uh, Auto Club. And before we get too, too far in Auto Club, I do want to say uh, sorry to anyone who is watching us last week when we did our picks uh, because we had a bit of chaos and turmoil. Oh, yeah. Um, for all four of our picks last week. So uh, I guess you guys can go ahead and say what happened to your, your two picks. We'll, we'll, we'll throw Jared and mine in later. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I'll start. I had Ross Chastain. I didn't really want to use a heavy hitter on race two, so I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to throw it out there. It's a worn-out track. He likes worn-out tracks. Why not? And goes head-on in the wall in like 10 minutes of practice, backup car. I was like, that's, that's great. So – Obviously, in the race, I wasn't expecting much from him, but he made it into the top 10 via attrition, which is pretty impressive. And I was thinking at that point, like, okay, this is way better than I thought. And then toward the end, he was running sixth or seventh, and he just loops it off four. And it just so happens that he gets stuck and he loses five or six laps because his tires are flat. So I I feel like I was in position to get some good points there on a day where I wasn't expecting any points. And... I end up having him finish behind the guys that hit the wall. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I had Bowman and Bowman just kind of Bowman. Um, he didn't have a terribly eventful day. Um, he just kind of did what I expect him to do, which being the least talented Hendrick driver was finish 25th. So it wasn't a great day. I thought he would do a little bit better than that, being that his fans kind of ride him hard that he got four wins last year. But damn. Three of those wins were given to him. Yeah, I yeah. think he bounced off the wall toward the end, I think. Yeah. Because sure. yeah, there was like did. five or six cars that did. Yeah, he, he was just kind of having an off day. Um, I don't usually expect him to run that far back. Otherwise, he I wouldn't have picked what, him. like 10th maybe or something when he hit the yeah, wall? Yeah, he was running right outside the top 10 for a really good chunk of the day. Um, like he kind of just stagnated. And- yeah, and just kind of floated back at the end. So it wouldn't surprise me if he did uh, touch the wall a little bit. Um, but I don't have to pick him again, so – yeah, and uh, ironically, we were all messaging, uh, as we do throughout all the races on our group text, um, our guys just kept dropping like flies. And yeah. I'm like, all right, all right, Colton, the 48 is next. And we get down there to like 32 or, or 22 to go, whichever lap it was, and and the 48 pops the wall. Yep. <laughs> and, and I just roll over laughing because – Oh, yeah, I remember that because I texted you immediately. Yeah. Last night. yeah. And you said Ross is next, and then he was next. Yeah. Uh, it was it was it was Roughly. it was fun, but also Roughly. I had to do it because I picked Tyler Reddick. I know uh, he's my second favorite Cup driver, right? I know he's going to do good at a worn out surface and with a he car did. that can actually run the top, which is what he loves to do. He was able to rip the top all day. That was his race to lose, and he didn't lose it. William Byron lost it for him. I mean, come on, man, you. The heartbreak at that moment, I was like, oh, my God, I'm just glad that the, the next-gen car is a little bit more resilient and it didn't end his day because he had that flat tire and he was nursing it back, and then all of a sudden that rainbow car just, you know, <laughs> drilled him for no good reason. I don't know if it was a spotter error or a driver <laughs> error. I don't know, but it, it was heartbreaking. And at that point, I was like, well, shit. And then once it started to happen to everybody else, it was okay. But Tyler Reddick coming home, 
on the lead lap helped me. I wound up finishing second to our boy Jared, who is busy again tonight. Who picked Eric Almarola, who I thought was a guy that was going to be a throwaway pick, to be honest, at this this track. Yeah, I have some plans for him, but I don't want to say where. I mean, I would assume that he would have been a good pick at a Michigan or one of the flat mile tracks like Gateway or uh, New Hampshire. Loudon, yeah. But, I mean, this was not a track that I pegged him to do good at. He made that massive save in practice. Another one. Saved it again in the race and wound up, even though he was was off the lead lap after that spin, coming back and kicking all our asses. So – uh, without without further ado, let's go ahead and skip over to uh, next week with our picks for Las Vegas and the Pinto 400. Yeah, so looks like I'm going first. Um, this is kind of strange. I've never gone first this early in the year, so I figured okay. I might as well just okay. Set hold the up, hold up. Before you before you even go, but did did you guys hear this man? I've never gone first this early in the year. He's out here. Being We've only done it one year. We've only done it one year. He's out here being cocky because he beat my ass last year at this stuff. So I never, ahead, I never like you're just interpreting it that way. But yeah, what I was saying is that <laughs> I'm picking a guy that I feel like is due for a Vegas win. I know that the rules packages might not correlate the same way, but if you go back to 2018, the last couple races before the high downforce package came in, all the Pensy cars typically run really good at this track, regardless of the package. And Ryan Blaney was somewhere in the top five in that crazy race back in 2018. And throughout the whole 550 package era, he was always top five, top 10. Probably should have won a couple of Vegas races, but he didn't. So I think I'm going to go with him this year. He ran really good the other day. So, or not the other day, last week, my bad. But I think if I'm going to pick first, I might as well pick somebody that's like an on-paper favorite. I'm going to go with the guy who I think had the biggest comeback last week. Um, Got himself into a huge hole early. Uh, I think he was at 1.6 laps down. Came back. Got a ton of lucky cautions to get back on the lead lap. Fought his way back to a top 15 finish. Um, he's won at Vegas before. Vegas native. I'm going Kyle F. and Bush. All right. Those are two pretty good picks, uh, especially Nathan's, because um, unlike these other guys, I've planned my whole season out, and uh, I pegged for this Vegas race, Ryan Blaney. Uh, so he stole that pick right out from under me. I do agree that the Penske cars have been very strong over there on the West coast for the Las Vegas races. So uh, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to go with a teammate that, that uh, was in the booth with Ryan Blaney last week. And that is Joey Logano uh, and their former teammate, Brad Keselowski in the number six car for RFK racing is Jared's pick. So we'll have three Penske and or former Penske drivers. Uh, so we were all thinking along the same lines and Kyle fucking Bush. So, Sorry to any fans of any of those four drivers. We're probably yeah. going to add to their attrition on Sunday, but we'll see what happens when we come to the Las Vegas. We don't count weekend. race points. We just got to beat each other. Yeah, yeah right. Ryan Blaney's probably blown an engine on <laughs> lap five. I call yeah, it now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, fucking dare, Nate. <laughs> so we'll see if these fan fuel picks are going to be poisonous like they were at Auto Club. Uh, but if not, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see a good race Sunday. We'll get to that a little bit later in the show. Auto Club, though, back after two seasons. We th- we saw the 88 of Alex Bowman win there, and the curse of Bowman is that we don't go to tracks after he wins. And um, they cursed him on Sunday by having that really ugly plaque um, being yeah. made for him uh, oh, yeah. to be put on the Hall of Champions. Um, but, I mean, what do, you, what do you guys think? I mean, we have not been to this massive two-mile rough 26, 20- four-year-old surface in two years i mean what what was uh what was y'all's thoughts going in and what were your general um opinions about the race oh man first of all i thought it exceeded my expectations because it's always been one of my favorite tracks and i had to listen to people on twitter like 12 year olds for the last two years say oh auto club's overrated because truex won there by 10 seconds in 2018 and you know after all this time i finally got proven right Auto Club is a great racetrack as long as the cars are good. So I was happy with it. I thought it was fun seeing the drivers move around. I thought it was fun seeing the drivers lift really early because you know that if this was two years ago, they'd probably lift in 500 yards later than they actually would yeah. now, if at all. So it's just big, 
It's big. Like it's big for me because I love seeing that type of racing. Um, I need to apologize to Auto Club because I was a huge F this track turned into a short track guy uh, two weeks ago. Um, Auto Club was never one of my favorite tracks. I always respected it just because it was so wide and there were so many different grooves. Um, but up until I'd say like 2018, 2019, I really didn't like it. Um, I was very skeptical going into it, especially here in the resin, especially here in how they knocked down some of the bumps in the backstretch, which it didn't look like they fucking did at all. Yeah, um, no. this, this is a fantastic race. Um, I really liked it. Uh, you saw the majority of guys riding up alongside the wall. I think a lot of that is because of what we saw in practice with immediately cars snapping around loose in the entry or the exit of four. Um, but you could also fan down to the bottom and get a good run going and slide up and pass, which was nice to see after the 550 package. Um, I thought it was a great race. It's probably one of the best races I've seen in at least a few years, at least since they brought in the 550 package. Um, I got nothing bad to say other than Bowman shit the bed. Yeah. The same with well, Chastain. He was yeah. up there sixth. And I was like, man, come on, come on, come on. You know, I was like, he can get a top five out of this spins and because he gets stuck. He ends up finishing behind the guys that hit the wall. So yeah, did not go well. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, if you know me, you know, I like multi-group racing, you know, I like being able to, to have options and, um, Auto Club has always been one of my favorite tracks. Probably around the COT era is when it finally started blooming into a multi-groove racetrack, and it wasn't just bottom feeding. Uh, once they got about 12 to 15 years on the surface, it started going really, really great uh, for, for someone like me. you know. And we haven't had cars that can do anything but bottom feed for the past three or four years, and even made back to 2015 at some racetracks. So seeing this this kind of a race where they were going through all six lanes depending on what time they were in the run it was just very very good to me so um i'm, I'm happy it's back uh, i did mention like uh colton said um but they were going to put the resin on there this weekend and i was kind of bitching about that on twitter i was like this is stupid um and didn't even notice it wasn't a factor it probably right, helped produce some of that good racing because like they resin. put more rubber down. Yeah. So like it's not PJ1. Yeah. It's 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 not PJ1, so I'm happy. Uh, with, that, with that being said, let's go to Saturday um, before we start delving deeply into the cup race. And the Xfinity race was fucking A. It was a race. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So it was, it was fun for the first, uh, I don't know, three hours. Um, but... Uh, I'm going to let you guys speak uh, kind of your opinions on it, but for me, it was just way too long. Um, uh, first of all, I guess I could say that it's pretty cool seeing Cole Custer win. I know he's a cup guy, but he won for SS Greenlight Racing, which is not really normal. And it came after his teammate DNQ'd, so that was kind of a cool thing for the team to get something even after one of their cars didn't make the race. Um, I guess second of all, I mean, I had free time, so I was all right with them continuing the race after he hit the sand barrels. So I was like, whatever, you know. They got lights. It'll be 30 minutes. But I did think it was interesting that Alfredo had a chance with that strategy. He got lucky for a little bit, but it seems like all the cautions just equalized his tires, and then he couldn't yeah. really do anything at that point. Yeah, I agree. That race was um, far too long, um, and especially during that red flag. Um, they should have just called it. Um, no, I don't. I don't. I don't. I mean, yeah, if they got lights, and there's no. Um, See, like I had Nathan, enough time to go get some fucking ice cream and come back. Yeah, so we're we're sitting there, and it's five or six minutes into this red flag, and Colton's like, "Damn, I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna go to Dairy Queen." He comes back, and they're still under red. Twenty two minutes later, I counted it. Um, I I am going to bring something up that is gonna probably lose me a lot of fans if I if I have any watching right now. I think I have grown out of green, white checkers. I think that oh, this no. race on Saturday has made it to me seem like we don't need those anymore. I was satisfied with oh. the race and they did not call it. And when they said that Custer did not take the white and we had to wait 32 minutes before getting back rolling again, I think that was excessive. That did nothing for me. The finish was bland. Uh, it would have been the same either way. I, 
to me, I, I'm ready for them to. I'm ready for them to either cap these green white checkers or get rid of them um, completely. Yeah, uh, I mean, I get where you're coming from. I just, I mean, I, I do. I'm a purist at heart, but I do think that green white checkers are like the one thing that I can tolerate, which is kind of interesting. So I'm fine with them if they want to do unlimited, whatever. I mean, if it takes an hour, so be it. But I'm also fine if they were to just go back to what they did and say, "Here's you get three attempts, whatever." So, I. Alex, I know we're all entitled to our own opinion, but yours is fucking wrong. Um, I love green-white checkers. I do wish there was some sort of circumstance to it, though. Um, Like in this circumstance, I really would have loved for them to say, okay, this is going to be it. This is going to take us 40 minutes to clean this shit up. Um, But Auto Club does have lights, so they were. I I get both sides of it. Um, Just being that I was trying to do shit around the house. um, Like I said, I just... It's just minutes it took me to go get a ice cream. Um, eh. eh. It's not okay. So right now, I love for someone who likes for someone that. who likes racing. Myself, I don't really give a shit if we throw a yellow and end their caution. I really don't. It I'm fine with it for IndyCar F1. It's just like it's just I've so See, I've grown so, up on the green white checkers. You know, like I don't I have I didn't grow up in air. Me. Right, right. and I, I think that that's a problem from my standpoint because NASCAR has made the fans kind of eager to have these green-white checkered finishes. We've had too many controversies with them to not be unlimited, so we kind of have to be unlimited. But at this point, I don't care for them. I mean, there was no reason for that race to continue. They yeah, could have was- just said that the yellow happened like th- three feet into his car after his nose went under the the flag stand, everyone would have went, went away feeling happy and indifferent to the way they felt when Cole Custer still won two laps later without an exciting green white checkered finish. So I don't I don't know. It was just it was a waste of time. And after being at the longest cup race in history at Talladega, that was seven hours and forty-two minutes long. I want to say it was two Octobers ago. I don't give a shit anymore. I, I would rather see a race end under caution because circumstances happened than sit around for three hours trying to finish a race. And I know that it wasn't three hours, but still, 40 minutes, that's ridiculous. Like I said, I get both sides of it. Mm-hmm. I just don't want him to go back to a fucking overtime line. Oh, my gosh, no. Which no, we're done with that. The only way yeah. to... Um, I don't. Me, I don't even understand why they did that. Like we talked about, you talked about the Joe or the excuse, not the Joe Graf, the Custer. You know, he was so many feet from the line when they called the caution. Um, they could just put a line down at the egg, entrance pit road and say, if you get to this line, it's going to be over. But then, at what, what's line? the point of the white overtime line? Yeah. Um. So that's kind of where I'm like, all right, we'll just keep resetting them. You know, see, because what I did, I, I didn't like this last weekend. I did not like that. I think that we should go to the scheduled distance, and I know that I'm 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 the 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 more pure than the the, the NASCAR stuff for most fans nowadays because of what we've been through in the last 15 years. But I would not mind them going the distance, but maybe red flagging during the last 10 percent of the race, or not counting caution laps. During the last five percent of the race, something like that, where it could still lead to a green-white checkered, where we do something like that. But I don't know. If if a red flag comes out after we go into a green-white checkered, I think that should end the race. I think that would be the rule that I would put in. If we're gonna have a red after we've attempted one green-white checkered, just throw it out. Well, and and you make up a good point, like. Daytona, right? We saw Myatt Snyder's wreck. Um, what if that was a two to go and not the last? Right. Time? Right. You know, like if that we, happened after halfway, they would have ended it. Yeah. For sure. So because it would take like three hours. To sand barrels. I mean, right. the sand barrels versus a whole catch fence are two different things. They're they're different, but they're still a super lengthy repair. Right. But they've done longer red flags for other stuff before, like the jet dryer and whatnot. Yeah, but they didn't. But the the red flag for the jet dryer wasn't for a green white checkered. I think once we've went the distance, I think a red flag 
should end the race, regardless think, of what lap it is. I think that's. I think, I think, think that would fix conflict. my problem with what happened this this weekend in Xfinity, and I, I think, think that would. I think that would, you know, that would be the same uh, sentiment to me as going the distance and just calling it. I think I think that would be a very good compromise for me. Uh, was there anything else that you guys saw uh, on X, on the Xfinity side of things before we move on to Cup? Hmm. You know, not really. I thought it was interesting though that the SS Green Light or probably SHR Alliance car was able to win like that. Like it was pure pace. So I just found it interesting. They had one of them win the race and one of them DNQ. So right. that tells so, you the issue with the team is yes. the nut that connects the pedals to the steering wheel. So yeah, it was not a good look. So did you guys see on Twitter, Joe Graff Jr. was the driver of the DNQ'd car. He DNQ'd in the 21 Xfinity car. Uh, I don't know if it was last year or 2018. And his teammate went on to win that race. I don't yep. remember which race it was or which. It was Michigan, which year I think, 2019. Michigan? Okay. So, see, Nathan's over here. He He's our encyclopedia of racing. So, I appreciate that. Yep. Um, oh, and shout out to DQ because yep. that's where you went and got your ice cream during that red flag. Yep. So Yeah. I'm just <laughs> drinking water. but yeah, Money yeah, and mind. being popular on Twitter do not make you a good race car driver. Right. We had that discussion about Drew Dollar last week, though, when it comes to stuff like that. So I don't think we need to just, get back into just it. Just pick one a week and just keep it going. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll go to Cup on Sunday, and I do want to say if uh, if you know what I, if you know what I'm alluding to, you know, um, this was an EA Sports Certified Classic. I mean, hands down, this was an instant classic for NASCAR. I I think it was after the Coke 600 last year. The three of us had a discussion about when is the last time and since we've been to this 550 package, have we had a race that was an instant classic? We had that discussion between the three of us, and yeah, I don't think any rough. of us could could say anything. Obviously, the Bristol race happened last year. Yeah, we changed our minds on that. But, um, <laughs> like every classic race last year was 750. Yeah. Darlington, Bristol. Classic race. Do you guys agree with that statement? This was an instant classic. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think that a lot of it, what also helped it is, I guess, like he said, the atmosphere around it. It's something that NASCAR fans had waited for so, so long. I think even if the race wasn't as good as it actually was on Sunday, that people still would have loved it just because they anticipated this for so long after two years of sitting through the 550 package. Three years, make that, sorry. But it's kind of like when NASCAR came back from COVID sort of thing. Like even if it wasn't the best race, you were just happy to see it back. And right. I was just, even if the race was terrible, I would have been happy to see the racing back because it was multi-groove racing. The cars were harder to drive. I think the race being that good was awesome. So I think it's going to be perfect because there was a lot of different, a lot of different leaders. I think there was something like 27 different cars ran in the top 10 in that race. You had arguably Eric Jones and Tyler Reddick. They probably would have had either one of them would have been an upset win. So, I mean, I don't really know what more you could ask for in a race. Well, um, I think that the race was amazing. We have some points we're obviously going to hit later on. Um, But for me, it just seemed like the classic NASCAR was back. We had drivers going from the back to the front, from the front to the back. We had tire wear. We had, I mean, we would have got to fuel mileage. We had so many cautions that we didn't get to that point. But, I mean, it was just a classic NASCAR race. I was not ever bored. I was always in tune with the race. And it was so refreshing being able to see drivers just – spread themselves throughout the field. It was kind of like a cycle all race long. We just had had people up front that we don't see up front stereotypically. And I thought that was very refreshing and reminded me of those early 2000s NASCAR days, the late stage of the Gen 4 era where we saw just whoever could show up with a good setup come come and win and didn't regardless of what engine or who, who they were driving for. So I'm thinking the next gen car has gotten us back to that point. Um, Colton, though, before we get into our main points, Mm -hmm. um, we did see something that we talked about on our 
uh, on our text during the race. And uh, I think you wanted to bring that up. Uh, yeah, because uh, it pissed me off. Um, in all honesty, there is a, a trend developing over the past several months um, of the driver, the number nine, altering finishes. Um, that spin he had on Sunday had all the looks of being an intentional spin. Oh, yeah, um, for sure. Oh, yeah. You could see he, he had white on his gloves. You could see him jerk the wheel. And right. when he spun around, you didn't see him correct the wheel. He just it's did like, a Clint Boyer and locked the wheel and just let it rotate around. Um, first off, if you're going to spin out on purpose or if you're going to spin someone on purpose, um, flashbacks to Carl Edwards Kislowski at Atlanta, don't wear white fucking gloves. <laughs> make sure no one can see you, all right? And right. You know, don't make it so obvious. Um, he was oh, upset. Yeah. He, I don't know, he probably broke something on his car. Um, but he didn't want to lose all the track position and the laps down after the incident with Kyle Larson. I get it. You're pissed off. Your teammate just put you in the wall. Um, but he did the same shit at Bristol. Um, you yeah. know, he had the battle with Harvick, went in, got some fresh tires, and ran the same lap times as Harvick, who was on 60 lap older tires than he was. All right. You know, held him up, gave Larson mm -hmm. the win, and then immediately took off. Um, <laughs> if we want to talk about the Roval, I can fucking bring that up again. But that was more of a NASCAR thing than a chase. All right, thing. All right. Um, yeah. But this is a worrying trend that NASCAR, I don't think, is going to put their foot down unless he comes out and verbally says, I spun it on purpose. And even at that, I think he's going to get a slap on the wrist. And we I want to say this is some big-ass bullshit because we saw, what was it, two years ago, it was the 43 car at Texas with Bubba Wallace behind the wheel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he looped that. He looped it very intentionally. NASCAR penalized him. Kyle Busch said something over the radio, and three weeks later, he did the same thing. He got penalized for it. So you got two of the biggest stars in racing who aren't the most popular driver, who are diverse amongst the fan group, and they do this, but it's not okay. And it's not okay. So I don't, I don't think they shouldn't have been penalized. I think they should have. But it's okay for the number nine car to do it. That just doesn't sit right with me. But I will say this. Uh, Nathan, if you have any comments on the nine thing, go ahead and say them because I've got another point to this. Yeah, I think it's just weird in the sense that he almost I – don't, I don't know what it is about him, but it seems like anytime he gets wronged, he just instantly goes into full meltdown mode. Like whatever it is, if you wrong him in any way, then he's going to try and alter the race. Like I, I thought it was weird that he – swerved at Larson on the front stretch a couple laps before he spun and just, I don't understand it. I mean, I know that he's mad, but at whatever point you just take your medicine at that point, I don't really understand the idea of, Oh, I want to end this guy's race, you know? Right. Or I don't want to, I, I want to take the race from this guy. Well, yeah. even with, even with Harvick coming back after him, um, after Bristol, um, obviously it doesn't matter if you show, uh, or reared your head and you take the, uh, the heel role as the villain of being, you know, the guy who pushed around the, the most popular driver chase doesn't give a shit. Um, I wouldn't go out right there and say that, but, uh, go ahead, Nathan, fuck the chase Elliott fans, I guess. Yeah, um, I was just saying that it's weird in the sense that I do think Harvick had every right to get mad at him in Bristol because that was accidental contact and chase Elliott went out there and had a tantrum because of that. Yep. Right. So if this is going to happen for every racing incident, it's going to be really, really tiring really, really quick. So yeah. go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. So hats off to NASCAR, though, because the only reason that he did that is he knew that they weren't going to call a caution because they didn't call a caution twice earlier. The eight obviously had a flat tire. They would not have called a caution for him if the 24 did not get into him. And there was another car. Um, I can't remember who it was. Was it, was it the Bowman crash that – they Might did not call a caution for, yeah. and yeah, he went around, wild. and he got no, two he laps down, but we stayed on the green. Yeah, yeah I, I think it so, because he hit the wall like right when that all happened. Right, and um, no caution for either of those two things, so hats off to NASCAR for that. But uh, Chase Elliott taking that and saying, oh, well, I'm going to lose more laps if I don't spin it, and then yeah. looping it. I mean, his arm had to itch. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, this, this kind of reminds me of when you're – I just got a new dog. When you're training a dog, you don't let it pee in the carpet. You don't let it chew on shoes. You nip that in the butt immediately. Otherwise, they're going to keep doing it. And that's what this is reminding me of. 
if NASCAR doesn't do something about it, whether this week or the next time it happens, because it will happen again, um, he's going to keep doing it. Yeah. Non-stop. I mean, he, he is the golden boy, and he's getting he's getting away with being the golden boy. Yep. Um, and it's interesting that you guys pointed that out because I didn't really I didn't really put all that stuff together. So um, thank you, thank you guys for bringing that stuff up. Uh, but let's move on to to our notes and what we kind of saw this weekend, and that was first of all a battle of attrition. So we saw a lot of stuff um, going wrong this weekend, but something that is just too familiar to myself and Nathan is TRD having engine struggles. Oh yeah. I have an article on that up right now. So what happened is Toyota had problems with the radiators and they were overheating. So that happened to Christopher Bell. That happened to Kyle Busch. That happened to Hamlin. All of them spent a long time in the pits getting their stuff fixed. And because a lot of it was because of the sand the track has. But after that, they mentioned that they lost about 10 horsepower because of that, because their engines were getting choked down essentially. So they kind of had a double whammy and it just, it wasn't good. I heard that David Wilson even said that he apologized to Joe Gibbs because it was quote unquote embarrassing to have all their cars have minor little problems that shouldn't have happened in the first place, because obviously sand was going to be a problem. It always is there, but it seemed like it was only for them. Right. And I know we were discussing stuff when we thought about maybe it was just because you have four or five different radiator pan sizes or covers that you can use uh, in the next-gen car. You don't have grill tape, and you can't change these things throughout the weekend. You kind of show up and go. So initially, I thought that. So um, something interesting that we saw was them using a leaf blower to re-blow the sand out the way it came in on pit road. Um, And that wasn't the only um, interesting technique we saw on pit road. So Colton, um, what do you think about them having to make major wedge adjustments by taking up the hood and getting under the front suspension? Uh, do I use the word embarrassing or, I mean, disappointing more or less? Um, just because when I think of wedge, I think of a super quick adjustment you can do to either loosen the car up or tighten it up. Um, you know, it's something you can do in a three second pit stop. Um, but now we have to go out, pop the hood, and move a whole bunch of shit around. Um, it's it's taking more and more away from what made NASCAR so likable in the first place to newer fans was how quick they could, you know, alter these cars to make them handle better. Um, so I don't know. We'll have to see how this plays out in the future. Um, maybe teams will get better at setting them up to begin with. But, I mean, it's always been a part of a long race. It's always been a part of handling um, was adjusting on the fly. Um, so I didn't, I don't really like that. So I'm going to go out of order here because you said teams will get better at setting them up in the first place. I have some big beef with NASCAR. Um, we did not have enough practice this weekend. Am I alone in that opinion? No, no. I think we should just get rid of the second round of qualifying and replace that with extra 30 minutes practice. I don't know that I would make that the answer, but. I do not think that 15 minutes is, is enough. I oh, no, think we saw guys go out and do one run, and that was it pretty much both sessions. And then you got a trash car from the four. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. And then if you went behind the wall, you could not qualify. So what do you guys think about not seeing – I want to say there was nine cars not get a chance to qualify for Sunday race. I don't know. I mean, I'm not a big fan of it. I don't want, you know, I don't need like three days of practice, but at the same time, I don't need 15 minutes either. You know, at that point it's kind of trivial. Um, it's not enough. I think that I don't understand why we're having multiple rounds of qualifying. Cause I think that if we're doing single car qualifying, then we should probably just have one round and replace that replace that second round and add more practice time because it's, you still get, that gives you track time as a fan at the track, but it's still, it gives you more meaningful track time. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a happy medium here um, between the long practice sessions that we got accustomed to over decades. Um, and this little 15 minute one, this 15 minute practice kind of reminds me of like when you're super hungry, but you don't really want to make anything. So you just kind of grab a little snack and that doesn't do anything for you at all. Right. Um, that's kind of what this is like. Like it's more or less just a, a dog and pony show. Just get out there and say you did some practice 
Um, if you go behind the wall, you can't qualify. So what's the point in changing anything? I don't know. I, I don't know. There's if you so Kyle Bush brought up the fact that he lives in a fantasy land, and I think I live in that same fantasy land with him because it 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 bothered him that you can not show up with a shit car and a shit setup and be able to correct it. That is something that we saw be his detriment the last couple of years during this COVID time with no practice because he's he's one of those guys that is very analytical, feels the race car, knows exactly how to fix it. And he could be junk on Friday, and by Sunday he's winning the race in a dominating fashion at that. So for me, I know um, I said this to you guys on Sunday, but the lack of practice is – very much detrimental to the fan experience. I do not mind what we did on Saturday, but it is not enough. I don't mind the, the dual rounds of qualifying. I don't even mind splitting these guys up into groups for having 15-minute sessions. If that is what they want to do because they don't want to wreck race cars, that is fine. But I still think we need at least an hour and a half more practice. And if you did that with – 15-minute sessions for two groups. These guys could have 15 minutes to work on their cars and then get out on the track for 15 minutes again like they did at the LA Coliseum with those eight-minute sessions. And we could have 45 minutes of practice per car plus the 15-minute practice slash warm-up for the qualifying. And I think we could do that all on Saturday. And you could have practice from 10 to 11.30 a.m. and then do practice qualifying for – Xfinity or trucks, whoever's there, and then have your practice qualifying session for, for cup and then the Xfinity or truck race. And I think we could do that for all three series. I mean, to me, going to a racetrack like they did this weekend and having a packed infield, but only having an hour's worth of track time for the cup guys on Saturday, it's not worth it to me if I want to go see my favorite driver on track for three or four days, you know, like we used to do. So a compromise I'd like to see is more practice on Saturday if they're all going to be two-day shows. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that completely. So um, I guess that's Alex rants for this week. Um, a little bit of a lighter one than usual, but, I mean, I don't know. Not having all this track time and not being able to see somebody come in here junk and then come out and win the race, it's a little bit – of an issue. disheartening yeah it's like i don't know it also with fantasy lineups and sports betting being a big thing right now having more practice would be better beneficial to all the fans who are into that kind of stuff as well too so it's not just the teams that are suffering because of it so um let's get into the package and how it works do you guys think that this was a package working or this was a Fontana being multi-groove rough surface working? Ooh, ooh. I think it's a little bit of both. I, I don't want to judge the package until we get to place like the Coke 600 where it's kind of a narrow track. It's smooth because if it puts on a good race there, I think it's the real deal. So I was still encouraged though. Like I, if I had to judge it now, I'd say it's pretty good. Um, it almost reminds me of a cross between – 2018 package with the tiny spoiler on the gen six and the original gen four. Like it kind of reminds me of a cross between those two. So I think it's a good start. Um, I'm sure they're going to tweak a little bit of things and they're eventually going to stop spinning every 10 laps, but that just comes with the drivers learning how to drive it. So I, I think it's good. Like I don't want to criticize anything yet because it's too early. Yeah. I'm the same boat as Nate. I don't want to shit on this package quite yet. Just because we haven't really seen it in a true form, like you know, we would see it Charlotte, um, like we would see it, say Michigan. Um, so if I give any praises here, I'm also not going to praise the package quite yet. I'm more, more so going to praise Fontana, just right. because it did any good that the package did. This amplified it. Um, I don't think that the Coke 600 is probably quite like this. Um, but again, once we get to that point, like Nate mentioned, that'll kind of tell us whether or not it's the car or it's the track. Um, this is looking a thousand percent better than the 550 did. So I am all, all calm for that. Um, I don't have to see cars go flat out through the corners and, you know, mm -hmm. playing air games and shit like that. I think, 
I Go think. Ahead. Oh yeah, I think another point that I forgot to make is that Jeff Gluck said it. Not every race is going to be perfect. You could have a great rules package, and not every race can be perfect. So right. I hope that fans realize that. And you know, the moment that this package doesn't have a good race, I hope they're not like, "Oh, we need to change it now." You know, like, just be patient. Yeah, well, and that's kind of getting me to my point. Um, I know that this race was phenomenal. I know that you guys have brought up it was because Fontana is a phenomenal racetrack. Um, but I'm also a little bit scared. We're going to our first mile and a half this weekend with Las Vegas. It is a little bit rougher than um, what basically all of us are going to gauge as the fix to this package. And that was the shittiest race of the year the last two years in a row, the Coke 600. If, yeah, if this pack was if, at that race, yes. I, I can't, um, I can't go through another race like that, especially one at 600 miles. So until we see that race on Memorial day weekend, I'm going to hold my judgment, but I'm also scared. I know a lot of fans of NASCAR are going to hate me for saying this, but I obviously race on iRacing. Um, and this weekend in testing for for the NIS series for Las Vegas, I noticed that there was not a lot of off-throttle time. And if I can do that in sim, I'm sure the smart people and engineers in the real world can get us basically a, almost back to where we were the 550 package i was i was only lifting a little bit into the entry of both corners and then pegging the throttle so i'm a little bit worried honestly that once we get to that smooth surface at charlotte it's not going to be that good of a race so um i i have i have swinged really far in the last few weeks with the speedway race and uh at daytona and back with fontana and now i'm kind of like okay i'm taking it a week by week basis right right now um i know Colton, you, myself, and my dad were all like, we're going to learn a lot in the first six weeks because we've got every type of racetrack. So um, I guess we'll, we'll revisit after Circuit of the Americas and see what we're, got, what we're saying and then another six weeks later at the, at the Coke 600. But until then, um, it's just going to be a base-by-base -base stuff. So let's get into the nitty-gritty of the race itself. So there was a bunch of stuff happening, and everyone – Everybody was vocal about one of those things, um, and that was the tire issues. So we all had our own opinions about what should be done after Daytona, and a lot of the stuff escalated despite NASCAR's brief fix of leaving the driver in the car to uh, take him to pit road. So, Nathan, I know you were the most yes, vocal the most about vocal. that on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. So um, everything's great, as Kyle Busch would like to say. Um I love seeing guys lose five laps because they spin. Um, just love to see it. But really, jokes aside, um, I think the biggest thing that's crazy about this is that when Bob Pockers says he's frustrated about something, then something's wrong. Like, he right. never, ever criticizes the sport. So to see him do that, it's like, okay, maybe people are really mad about this because apparently for him, this has been an issue since last year when they started testing these cars and they didn't, they chose to not fix it and just sit on it. So, I get it. These things happen with the new car, but I, I'm more disappointed in the fact that they had a year to fix it and they just sat on it and did nothing. Like it, if, if they would have just done this earlier, then this might not be as big of a problem. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, there's, there's gotta be a better way. There has to be, even if you just, um, you know, don't take people laps down when they spin and just throw them out there. If they, you know, once they get to pit road, you can start counting them. I don't know how you fix it, but there needs absolutely 100% needs to be a fix to this. Um, because without any contact, just losing a car shouldn't cost you any laps, really. Yeah, um, and I don't know. It's it's a little bit frustrating. I know for me, during practice, um, I saw a lot of these guys – having to get the red flag out and stuff because they were popping tires and stuff. And I'm like, I'm just watching. And I'm like, if they would stop dragging the tires like that, just let the car roll and not break, they would stop popping tires. And we saw that by the end of uh, Sunday, we saw a bunch of guys not popping as many tires off self-spins. So the drivers adapted to that. But now it's NASCAR's turn to adapt. 
you know, at, at, as you're behind the wheel, stuff happens. You're going to run over debris. You're going to get into an accident that's not your doing. Um, what Whatever happens. You might even have a mechanical failure like they did in Daytona where the rim is improper and you blow the bead or something. Who knows? Um, but it's not fair. I think we can all agree for anyone to have to lose three to seven laps because they're getting towed. So, I mean, wh- what are your guys's fixes? I know you just said Colton about not counting laps for, for um, guys who get, uh, get towed, but I mean, wh- what are some realistic fixes? Ooh. Oh man, this is tough. Cause I know that a lot of the technical people have said that, the realistic fixes are number one, the wheel doesn't really work because they'd have to redesign the brakes and everything. Another one is inner liners. I don't even think they're possible per what people are saying. So they're kind of backed themselves into a corner to where they waited so long to fix this until it, it just happens right at the beginning of the season. And now they're stuck with it for a long, long time. And that's why I would say that I'm not a technical ex- expert. I don't have any reasonable fixes for this. And I think the only thing they could have done is, like I said, do it a year earlier. Yeah, I agree. I don't wait until the racing happens. Yeah, for it to- I'm with Nate. I don't have the, the technical knowledge or know-how to know what needs to be done. Um, something does. I think an immediate fix is, A, if a car spins, um, let them get back to pit road before you start counting them laps down. That'll at least cut it down from three to seven to maybe one or two. Um, right. Just let the crews change the tires and get them back out there. Um, another quick fix would be, um, like we've seen a ton of people mention, just give all of the, uh, the, the crew workers, a jack and some tires and just let them go out there and replace the tires. But then you're still running into the hole, you know, you're going several laps down, which that's really the issue here. Um, if guys weren't going laps down at all for this, um, we wouldn't be talking about it. It would just be an, Oh, we need to fix this kind of thing, but it's not as urgent of an issue. Um, again, I don't know what the engineering standpoint is. Um, like Nate said, NASCAR's backed themselves into a corner. They're going to have to redesign this. It's, it's not an issue of if, but when, um, so I don't know if that's something maybe they start on here in a couple weeks and start testing this summer to maybe get it rolled out by the fall, or if they just started out complete next year and just, I don't, I don't know if they just create an interim solution until then, but they're going to have to redesign this. So I, I'm not, I'm not sure that they're going to have to redesign the wheel, the hub assembly, the, the new brakes or anything. And I'm going to say this because I've watched plenty of sports car racing and plenty of supercars racing and GT racing um, for the last, I don't know how long that they've had these mono lug wheel systems. Like none of them, when they get flats, have the problem of being beached on themselves and they can all drive with those flats to their pit area. So I don't know what they can do to fix it from a car standpoint, but I feel like the sidewalls themselves just need to be strengthened. I think that's really it. The bead Mm -hmm. is obviously not holding up to lateral force, which makes sense. They're going to pop. We used to pop the larger sidewall tires as well. So the bead is probably not something that we're going to be able to fix. But the sidewall strength itself, despite only being five inches tall, should be rigid enough to carry a car. Um, And I know that these cars are different because they've got the underbody and they've got the rub blocks on there because they want to they want to prevent, you know, this carbon fiber or whatever the the diffuser in all that stuff is from, from ripping up because you can't mm-hmm. fix it. And it's all, but I mean, I don't know. They, they've got to do something. I think it's going to be the sidewalls because I saw a mention on Twitter um, today. Someone said, well, what about if we have minimum ride heights? Well, that's not going to prevent anything because the tires not connected to the suspension. So when it goes away, it's on the wheel on the rim, not, you know, doesn't matter where the suspension is. It's still going to hit those rub blocks on the bottom and be beached. So it's got to be the tires. It, it can't be anything else. It's got to be the tires that have to be fixed. It's going to be the easiest thing to fix and just put some more strength in the sidewalls. That's that for me. That 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 seems to be the only way that we're going to fix it without getting expensive. 
yeah, it's tough. I mean, that's why I always don't procrastinate. That's like a real life lesson right there. Yeah. It's like a real example Um, something I'm bad at. And after seeing that, I think it kind of motivates me to not procrastinate. And it's 100% procrastination. They gave themselves an extra year to work on this car. Right. Yeah. We were supposed to be running this last season. Yeah. And I know. Imagine if they did run it last season, all the flaws it would have. I don't even want to think about that. Man. So, (laughs) I mean, I know this is something we're going to have to deal with. But plenty of people, plenty of armchair racers like ourselves have come up with plenty of solutions to make the competition side not that, you know, not to have that much detriment to it because we can't have these guys going laps and laps down. But. Anyways, we'll get to the last part of the race. I do want to mention um, the finish. I think we had a eight lap run to the flag. Uh, maybe yeah. it was shorter than that. Um, About yeah, yeah. So, what did you guys think of that run and um, just enjoying a short run that wasn't a green white checkered? Oh, Damn, man. Suarez almost had it. I'm happy with yeah. that race. Good racing, first of all. Um, I think it would have been good if it was a long run too, because the 43 was actually catching the eight before his tire went down. So it would have been good between those two as well, but I can't really complain about the last eight laps. It was really good racing. Um, Like you said, the 99 made a good run. He got a huge push from Jones. I did not expect him to hold the lead at all, but he did for about a lap or so until Larson went to the top and got a big run on him. So it was pretty cool. Um, I really liked it. There was a lot of racing in the back that Fox never really, never really got. They didn't show replays. I yeah. think Blaney made a ridiculous save on the last lap, mm-hmm. and it was crazy. Like it was good racing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was refreshing to see. Yeah, it was really good. Um, I think it was very interesting being able to see Trackhouse on basically their second. Um, their second race as a standalone team. Um, they're they're still alliance with the RCR guys, but they're in their own shop now. They have their own building, and they have two teams. It was really interesting to see them go up and see them fight for something. Um, and I kind of want to ask you guys about the comments that uh, Daniel Suarez made post-race. He said, he said, we're bringing fast cars. We're really good, and we're going to win a lot of races one of these days. I mean, do you guys did you guys feel that after – after the last couple of years with him uh, battling for these finishes? Hmm. That's going to be interesting. I think that it depends on how this team evolves more than anything. I think that he's kind of grown as a driver. I don't think he was ready the first couple of years of his career. So you kind of didn't see the results you're seeing now. And I think those years kind of prepared him for where he is right now. So I think that he's finally learning everything. You know, he, had a crazy first couple of years of his career, but now like, I think he's settling in. Yeah. Yeah. Trackhouse is, they're going to be a player. They really are here. If not this year, definitely next year and the years to come. Um, they look competitive, um, especially this last week. Um, we know Ross Chastain has a ton of talent behind the wheel. Um, Daniel Suarez, I think has a little bit less talent, but he makes up for it by working hard. Um, and probably having more determination than right. most everybody in the field. Um, I agree with Nate. We talked about it last week that uh, I there's a lot of examples of guys getting called up way too quickly um, and then just kind of getting shoved out as soon as they don't perform immediately. Right, like they just weren't ready for it. Right, Eric Jones is another one. Um, I do think Jones, I think he was ready. I just don't get the crew chief he needed. And that's fair. And that's a you that's know. a discussion for – down the road because he's he's yeah. gonna get a win this year too. He's looking super competitive. Um yeah I think Trackhouse is here to stay they're here to fight. I'm waiting for him to get that first win. Um and I really love I think Daniel's gonna be the one to get it as much as I love Ross and I think he has a ton of talent. I think Daniel's gonna be the one to get it just because he's kind of been through the ringer already and he knows it's this. pretty polished yeah yeah he kinda, he he's learned what he's doing and yeah I think those early years getting kind of struggling at JGR and SHR, I think they really helped yeah. him as bad yeah. as they were. I think they helped because they're learning experiences. That's the thing with right. the sport. Yeah. And SHR, I do think that he deserved another year at SHR because he almost made the playoffs. But I mean, that's yeah. another debate for another day. But yeah. I think that I, it all helped him to where he is now. Yeah. And honestly, those years that he's been in Cup, he, he knows how to work with 
a good team. He knows how to drive a good race car. And I think that's what sets him apart from Ross Chastain. Ross, other than his year at Colleague, which he didn't do so hot at, by the way, um, was always in shit boxes. He has been grinding his way up through the worst equipment. And I think that he has, like you said, more talent than Daniel Suarez. He is probably going to have a better career stat line. Yeah. Once he gets under wraps, what his situation is and how to manage that. But right now, Daniel Suarez, like you said, he's got the determination. He wants to be here. This is what he's doing best. He And he also wants to prove that the guys that got rid of him at JGR and SHR made a very bad decision. So I, I, I do not think that he is not going to have – I do not think that it is out of the possibility for him to have a multi-win season this year. Yeah. yeah I do yeah. think that it's going to be interesting – if I'm Trackhouse, I'm putting the franchise tag on him. I mean, is that yeah. worth thinking NASCAR? He's he's my guy. You know. Yeah, like I think he's getting so. I think he kind of reminds me of like a. I don't know the maybe like a Pierre Gasly type situation to where, wasn't quite performing that well on the big team, probably because he wasn't ready for it. But you put him on a smaller team, you let him take his time for fears, and he gets better. So. I think it's going to be a lot more upward now that it took him that yeah. time. Cause I think you look at Chastain's scores are kind of opposites. Whereas Chastain, he's like just raw talent. He just gets in the car, whatever. Whereas Suarez, he's kind of a late bloomer. He needs time to, to get yeah. going. So I don't know. I'm excited. I didn't expect them to be this good already. Cause at last year they were kind of, they started the year really good and then they kind of just tapered off. So yeah. Yeah. After that, after that really good run at Bristol dirt, he, he got, they tanked, just fell so. off, man. Yeah. I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I mean, it was good race. Should be a good season. The next-gen platform is looking like it's going to do what it's supposed to do. We just have these really big issues to work out. Once we get those worked out, we'll be good. Um, another thing that was said on the Fox broadcast is they basically postponed this track getting turned into a short track. So I think that was a big win for me. Do you guys see that as well? Mm. I don't know. It's tough. Yes, and though, just because Fontana did put on a, an immaculate race. However, I look into the future, you're going to have to repave this track definitely within the next five years, if not a little bit sooner than that. Um, I don't want them to turn it into a Michigan 2.0 for the next 10, 12 years and just make it single groove by repaving it. Um, if they keep the current layout, they're going to have to do that. They're going to have to spend the money and repave it, or they're going to have to spend the money and convert it to a short track. I don't know which one I would rather prefer. Um, I don't necessarily want to see this Fontana go away. I definitely think we can at least get another two years out of it. Um, but if you're going to repave, I, I vote for the short track. Yeah, it's tough. Like, I don't want to see the two-miler go, but at the same time, wait as long as you can until it's finally done. Like, don't do it yeah. right now. Well, um, I I think we don't have to worry about them ruining this track in particular. Um, I think it's going to be along the lines of a Darlington repave. It's going to age a little bit quicker than usual. Um, if they do it right and they don't mess with anything like our friends at SMI uh, continue to do when they repave tracks, I think we will uh, we will see a, a, a few years of knots so good so far racing but i think it would it would come back quicker depending on the cars we put on track so yeah um, i gotta make I a know. comment though michigan that was probably ruined by the repave because apparently they gave it a special surface because to last through the harsher winters and it has never been the same it's been 10 years and the surface has not aged a bit right. like it's still one groove and it's like you think about what michigan used to be you used to run the wall in michigan if you wanted now you can't it's been 10 yeah. years it's just yeah. kind of sad. If they do it right, it'll be great. If they do it wrong, it'll be gone <laughs> before yeah. before the fifth year of a new surface. So I hope they don't turn into a short track. Uh, I I think that we should have more short tracks. I think that we could build one in in the area um, of Southern California, from you know below the bay, Sacramento, all the way down to to the border. I think we could do that. I think we could make a three-quarter mile Martinsville 
Bristol hybrid like they want to, but I just don't want to get rid of what we've got at Fontana. It's a great place for camping. Um, it's a great place to watch a race, I'm sure, um, and great on TV. So no reason for me to get rid of it at, at, at a, as of this moment. Um, but with that being said, we're about wrapped up. Do you guys have any final thoughts for this weekend in Vegas before we shut it off? Oh, man, I want to make a comment about Vegas's last low downforce race with the hot temperatures back in 2018 fall. It was a super good race. I'm hoping to see more of that again because this is the first time in three years that we've had low downforce there. And I think Vegas is coming into its own. I don't think it was as good in the last couple of years. But ever since 2017, 2018, the service seems to get – it's gotten older. It's widened out a little bit. Even in the 550 package, you see guys running the top. So I think Vegas is going to get better and better, kind of like Chicago landed. Yeah. Nate, I want to point out something you said, and I'm going to point out why this isn't going to be as good of a race as 2018 fall. Um, and it's the word fall. Um, right, you're right. Yeah, temperature. 60 degrees on Sunday. Um, it's going to be cool temps. I think the fall race is – depending on how they do this time, the fall race is probably going to be a banger. Um, but with the cool, the really cool temps in Vegas, you got to think it's just sat all winter. The track doesn't have any heat in it. Um, that's kind of what makes the fall race so good is the track just absorbs heat all summer long and it's still super hot during the day. Um, I will make one counterpoint though, is that in 2018, that same year, Kansas in the spring was a night race and it was still super good. So there's hope. Yeah. Yeah. There, there there's is hope, hope for this package. I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic. Yeah. Like I haven't been this optimistic about a mile and a half in a long time. Yeah. I, I I told you guys last year that I think this car could be, if they did it right, the answer to all of our problems on intermediate racetracks. So I think that we're still going to see a pretty decent race. Um, but like Nate said at the top of the show, fans have to understand that if a race is not a banger, it does not mean the race is not good. We saw a banger on Sunday at Auto Club. We did. That was a great race, one of the best that we've seen in the last three years. But that doesn't mean that if that doesn't happen on Sunday at Las Vegas that we're going to see a, a shit race. You can have a race with a lull in either one of the three stages and still have great racing. Um, it's going to be up to the coverage to show you that um, if it's not happening up front through the field and then also whether or not you know what to look for because there's a lot more to racing than passing and other things like that. So uh, if you want us to educate you about that, I'm sure we could probably all do a show about what we like to see uh, that's not very pretty when it comes to good racing. Um, I think that could be up for for a good, uh, a good show here in a couple of weeks. We might have a special guest with us next week. We are still working on that. We will throw that on our socials if we do. And for that, you can follow us at Fan Fuel MSM, capital F, capital F, capital MSN on Facebook and Twitter, all lowercase on Instagram, and of course, check out our YouTube channel as well. Or look down low below Nate scrolling down there. You can be a part of the action at fanfuelmotorsports.com. You can look at his uh, article on the uh, <clears throat> website that he put out this week. Um, and I'm sure we'll have some more stuff coming in the next couple of weeks as we get into the swing of things since IndyCar is back and supercars should be starting up here shortly as well. So everything's going real good around the world in motorsports. So uh, other than that, we'll see you back here at 730 next week unless anything changes. And uh, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. All right.